We're now going to have the Bible reading, which comes from Acts chapter 22, verse 30, through to Acts chapter 23, verse 23. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. <clears throat> Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, Do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were the Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified before me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you the Sanhedrin petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case, or his case. We are ready to kill him before he gets there. But when the son of the Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside and asked, what is it you want to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to him because more than 40 men are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are already now waiting for your consent to their request. 
The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at night tonight. So it's uh, helpful for us, before we get into God's word, to remember that uh, Paul is in Jerusalem and uh, he's there suffering like Christ suffered. These uh, verses are often called by scholars uh, Paul's passion, uh, that being the Greek word for, for suffering, as Christ went and suffered in Jerusalem. Just to paint a bit of a, a backdrop to what we'll be looking at. Let's ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance as we get into his word. Father God, as we look at uh, how you have been working, what you have done in the lives of your people and the lives of Paul, as we reflect on your faithfulness, your sovereign control over all the events of Paul's life, and as we're reminded that you are sovereign and in control of all of the events of our lives, well, we pray that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and guide us now as we seek to understand your word. Lord, help us to apply your word practically by your spirit to the experiences that we are going through and will go through in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I uh, prepared for this morning, I did lots of different reading in lots of different directions, as I usually do. And I came across the story of a, a small town in Texas that had experienced God's deliverance in a very surprising way. This town had fallen on hard times, but to the surprise of its people, it was delivered in a way that no one expected. In the years leading up to 2020, years that we all know were pretty tumultuous, uh, this place is called Port Arthur in Texas, was hit by an onslaught of natural disasters ranging from bushfires all the way through to what we don't experience, hurricanes. And so when the global pandemic hit town and people began to get sick and stay away from food eating places, restaurants and things like that, well, it caused a quite serious economic problem for the local residents. Many of the local businesses were on the cusp of closing their doors. Many had left town or were planning to, and those who were committed to staying in this town, well, they were just struggling to make ends meet. I read about this one lady named Diane. Diane is apparently the owner of a family-run and family-owned restaurant that's been a, a real centre hub for the town. The business was thriving before all of these disasters hit. But when a, a series of hurricanes came through the town, one after the other after the other, well, it crippled the local economy. And then, as I said, COVID-19 pretty much finished it off. And this popular local gathering place fell into some serious financial hardship, which caused Diane to sadly make the decision to close the doors forever. It's a little bit like 
losing the family farm, isn't it? Losing a, a family business like that is always a painstaking thing. No one wants to be the one who has to walk off. Nobody wants to be the one to have to close the doors. Just when Diane was about to give in to despair, God answered her prayers in a very surprising way. She was going about a business when the phone rang and she was very surprised to find out that it happened to be the director of trade and development for her region. After she got over the surprise of having an important official ring her, she was surprised again by what he was ringing about. He was ringing to try and uh, establish a contract between her business and the U.S. Army, a contract to cater for 3,000 soldiers who would be moving all of a sudden into that region and uh, to do that for training. In a moment, her circumstances went from looking bleak and hopeless, looking like she was going to have to close the business and possibly leave her hometown, to being filled with hope and expectation. Now, of course, that wasn't just good news for Diane. All sorts of other businesses were contracted to the U.S. Army and their presence gave an incredible economic boost to this town. All of a sudden, this town that was shrinking in size where people were struggling and depressed, downhearted, a place where businesses were closing doors, there were more and more empty shop fronts, People, a place where people were giving in to despair was, was saved and it was seemingly out of nowhere. No one expected this to happen. We all get tempted to despair at times, don't we? We can't always see what God is doing in our circumstances, especially when what's going on in our lives feels out of our control. It's easy to lose sight of the hope we have in God's sovereign care over all of our lives, knowing that he is in control of all things. We all know that God doesn't always answer our prayers in the time we want or in the way we want. I think one day when Jesus returns, we're going to be surprised to see how many times God delivered us from our circumstances in surprising and unexpected ways. And as he did that, he, he's been and continues to point our wayward hearts back to him, back to the hope we have in the most surprising way of salvation at all. We're so used to hearing about it, we forget how surprising and unexpected it was. The birth of a baby born in a stable, his death in our place and his resurrection three days later. And as we look at these verses today, we are being reminded that God works in the lives of all those who trust in him. He's with us no matter what we are going through today. He sees the struggles that we are facing he knows about the struggles that no one else here knows about. And despite how it may feel sometimes, he is working through our circumstances for our good as he grows us and teaches us and makes us more like Christ. 
and as he uses our circumstances for his glory. In the verses we're looking at today, Paul is still being held captive by the Roman commander Claudius Lysias and his men. Paul had only just addressed a a mob of, of Jewish people. These were his own people, many of whom he would have recognized because he had grown up in Jerusalem. People who he would have known well, people he would have served alongside as a Pharisee. But his presence in Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus kept on causing them to get very, very angry. You can imagine how Paul must have felt after being rejected by his own people, the people that he expected would receive him the most. And worse than that, having to be saved by a a Gentile Roman commander, being imprisoned and almost flogged, would have been easy for Paul to give in to despair. It would have been easy for him to start wondering why God was allowing all of these things to take place. Despite all these hardships, Paul kept his hope in the Lord, not because he had it together any more than any of us, not because he was an apostle and that made him special in some way, but simply because he kept on trusting the Lord with his circumstances. By the time these verses begin, the commander, Claudius Lysias, uh, still has no idea why the Jews keep getting so upset about Paul's presence in Jerusalem. And so to try and find out why this keeps on happening, he decides to have the Jewish ruling council called the Sanhedrin decide Paul's fate. Um, Among the Romans, the Sanhedrin had no authority at all. But among the Jews, they had a great deal of of power and influence to judge on matters of God's law. At the time, the high priest's name was Ananias. He was a man who was known to be very corrupt, not very ethical. And he was a Sadducee. While the rest of the Sanhedrin was made up of both Pharisees and and Sadducees, which were, of course, two very different religious groups with two very different understandings of Scripture. As Paul addressed these powerful and influential people, people who were Jews just like him, he looked straight at them. And with the kind of confidence that could only be inspired by the Holy Spirit, he said, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Now, it's hard for us to grasp how offensive those, would have, those words would have been to these incredibly pompous and, and religious men. What Paul was saying was that everything he had done from the time he was a Pharisee right up until now, going throughout the known world, sharing the gospel with both Jews and Gentiles was all that God had called him to do. And as he said that, and by saying that, he was implying 
that their opposition to what he was called to do by God meant that they were out of step with God. So when the high priest heard this, well, he was so offended by Paul's words that he ordered that he be struck on the mouth, something that was not lawful for the high priest to do. Leviticus 19 says, 19 verse 15 says, you shall not do injustice in court. The highest judge amongst the Jewish people, amongst Paul's own people, had just condemned him accused him, mistreated him without a fair trial, casting judgment even before Paul had had an opportunity to give give his case. It's not hard to imagine how upsetting this would have been for Paul. What's really interesting in these verses is that he seems to be being treated more fairly by this Roman commander than by his own Jewish people. And we can see just how upset Paul is in these verses. Paul doesn't lose his composure very often, but here he does. He loses it for a moment and says, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. It's a little bit reminiscent of Jesus' words, whitewashed tombs, isn't it? But despite lashing out with his words in that moment, he quickly regains his composure when he was told that he was speaking to the high priest. Not because he was being submissive to the high priest, but because he was being obedient to God. He says, I did not realize that he was a high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Paul was submitting to God's word in being gracious to this high priest. He could have just said, I don't care, he deserved it, and he would have been completely right. But by acknowledging that he shouldn't speak like that to a leader of his own people, he was choosing not to fight this battle in his own strength, but to instead trust the Lord with his circumstances, even though they were completely out of his control. Now that he'd regained his composure, he addressed the Sanhedrin again, quite wisely, really, turning the Pharisees and the Sadducees against each other. Paul said, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of the ho- my hope in the resurrection of the dead. Paul basically just threw a bomb into the Sanhedrin. Those words just instantly caused conflict to erupt. The Pharisees were arguing that there was a resurrection of the dead, while the Sadducees arguing that there wasn't. This caused a great conflict amongst this group. While the Sadducees were trying to condemn Paul, some of them were so passionately arguing for the resurrection, they began to defend him, saying, we find nothing wrong with this man. But even with this little bit of support from these Pharisees, this disagreement between these Jewish two Jewish religious parties grew so violent that the commander had to order his men to go in and take Paul by force back to the barracks. 
Now, this isn't the first time this happened. This is the third time that Paul had been saved by this Roman commander. The first time was when he, had a, when he was in the temple and the mob had developed and he had to be arrested for his own protection. Then after the commander had given him an opportunity to address that same group again, he again needed to be taken back to the barracks. And now, as he addresses the Sanhedrin, he had to be removed by this Roman commander for his own safety. On three different occasions, Paul was treated unjustly by his own people as they worked themselves up into a mob and tried to kill him without so much as a fair trial. Well, on the other hand, this Gentile, Roman, could say pagan commander, was treating him fairly. And even going out of his way to protect Paul from those who were trying to kill him. God was using a very unexpected way of salvation to keep Paul alive. That night, Paul must have been feeling pretty down. He had, after all, gone to Jerusalem with great hopes of his own people believing the testimony, his testimony about the risen Lord Jesus. These people did, after all, know Paul. He was a Pharisee. He had grown up there. He would have had a relationship with many of them. And as we'll hear in a little while, he also had family in town. He had a great deal of expectation as he went into Jerusalem. But instead of seeing people coming to the Lord, every time he has tried to share the good news of Jesus, they have tried to kill him without a fair trial. Just when Paul was at his lowest, Jesus met him in those Roman barracks and encouraged him to keep trusting God's plan. Jesus met him where he was at and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Now what Jesus had just shared with Paul was groundbreaking. It just changed everything. Because what it meant was that no matter how hard the Jews tried to kill him in Jerusalem, God would protect his life because God had guaranteed that he would testify about the risen Lord Jesus in Rome. And ironically, just as God was guaranteeing Paul's safety, a group of around 40 Jewish men were deciding to make an oath to have Paul killed or to kill Paul themselves. They weren't fighting against men at this point, of course. They were fighting directly against God. But that's when we're told in in verse 16 that Paul's nephew heard about this plot. This is the only time that Paul's sister or his nephew are mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, the word used in verse 17 to refer to him being a, a young man implies that he was only a teenager. This was God providentially saving Paul, providing him with help that that he could never have gotten for himself. 
God enabled this young man to hear all about this plot for those who are conspiring against Paul to feel safe around a relative of Paul's. God was using this nephew in a very unexpected way. Now, this man, young man, didn't just hear about this plot to kill Paul. He then went to the jail and had the opportunity to tell Paul all about it, tell him all that he'd overheard. And surprisingly, Paul, as a prisoner, was able to organise for his nephew to go and talk to this powerful Roman commander. And it gets even more amazing than that because this powerful Roman commander then went and and listened to this man in private and believed this young teenager so much that he put a plan in place to save Paul's life, secretly sending Paul on to Governor Felix under the protection of an incredibly powerful detachment of Roman soldiers. Over and over and over again in these verses, God was saving Paul in unexpected ways, ways that were completely out of his own control. God had used a a pagan Roman commander to save Paul from an angry mob three times, angry mobs that would have more than likely killed him if he hadn't. Then God enabled Paul's young nephew to hear about a plot to take his life and then enabled the Roman commander to trust the word of this young man enough to put such an elaborate plan in place. I think it's easy for us to to see all of the ways that God was working in Paul's life to protect him in these verses because we know how it worked out. But from Paul's perspective, as he went from being beaten by an angry mob in the temple to being arrested by the Romans to being shouted down by the mob when he addressed them the second time and then caught up in a violent altercation in the Sanhedrin. Well, needless to say, it would have been very easy for Paul to give in to despair under those circumstances. Just when it appeared as though Paul wasn't going to make it out of Jerusalem alive, God saved Paul's life in an unexpected way. But this wasn't the first time that God had saved Paul's life. This wasn't even the greatest time that God had saved Paul's life. That happened when God met him on the road to Damascus in the most surprising of ways. When God revealed God's unexpected way of salvation, the good news that we who have rebelled against our loving creator been shown forgiveness through the life, death, and resurrection of God himself in the flesh so that those who trust in Jesus can face the future with hope even when we're facing really difficult circumstances. We can trust even when we can't see a way out of whatever we're going through at the moment. Because our hope is not in perfect circumstances in this life, but in the one who loves us so much that he has freed us from the guilt of our sin 
and saved us for himself in the most unexpected way. More than that, he guarantees our salvation by his word. As Jesus says in John 6, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So no matter what our circumstances today or this coming week, no matter what we're struggling with, going through, God is working in our lives for our good and for his eternal purposes. No matter what we're going through at the moment, we have a certain and sure hope in God's unexpected plan of salvation. God himself would give his life in our place so that we could be made right with him. Let's pray. Father God, we confess that at many times we have been caught up in our circumstances, maybe even today, where everything's felt so hard, where we've allowed our circumstances to guide our emotions and our direction. Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus to keep our eyes fixed on the certain hope that you are sovereign over all things, that no matter what we are going through today, you love us, you care for us, you are guiding the circumstances of our lives and you will not lose any who trust in your son. And so we pray this in his name. Amen.